I thought you were dead. Sun out of your eyes and be yourself. Heard you were dead. She's dead, wrapped in plastic. That man's dead back then. It was worse than dead. He must be dead. Is this a dead man, Doctor? Do you guys like martinis? I can honestly say I don't remember ever having one aside from like a sip of someone else's maybe. And yeah. even that like years ago. Dude, I think they're disgusting. They're the ultimate alcoholics drink. Yeah. And then they put little well, tiny onions and shit in it. I mean, come on. What's the actual like what's a regular if you order a martini, what are they what are you getting? Vodka, vermouth, and cum. Yeah, probably come. I, yeah. I know a dirty martini is with the olive juice in there. There's and a Gibson's with the onion. Yeah. And is a dry martini just not a dirty martini? Is that just a longer way of saying martini? Perhaps. All right. Yeah. I, I, I don't I, know. If anyone knows who's <laughs> listening, keep it to yourself. I, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm safe to say that Sterling probably knew. Yeah, you, well, he's a sailing rum man. So, uh, hey, welcome yeah. to Roast Mortem. Oh, tri- well, I haven't done this in such a long time that no, I forgot no, you no, do no, this No, 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 no. We took a break. Now it's reverted back to Tom. Okay, welcome to Roast Mortem. It's a fine <laughs> show. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I'm Tom. I'm Travis. I'm Connor. Okay, only a few episodes left of this one before we transform, but we're going to take these episodes seriously. Correct. Oh, yeah. Right, boys? Absolutely. Yeah. The most serious part. How was your week, month, year? <laughs> Connor, how have you been? Uh, uh, I've been good. My week, month, year has been... There's, it's A lot of stuff has happened. I, I can't even remember how long it's been, so I don't know how much of the stuff that's happened that I'm thinking about has actually happened since the time we recorded last. that makes sense? Yeah. I don't know. Went to a bunch of weddings... Um, this past weekend I went to a bachelor party. It was the ideal bachelor party. All we did was play lawn and board games while drinking heavily the whole time. Hell yeah. It was great. Um, yeah, you know, usual. Reading a lot. What was the best hors d'oeuvre at the wedding you had? Best hors d'oeuvre at the wedding was lamb, uh, lamb chops. They had little, like, legs of lamb. Like well, those like two bite lollipop lamb things. Oh, oh so like they just popped out like those lambs. Yeah, they were like yeah, like right fresh the lambs. Like the like the two bites, peel it off, delicious. So so good. Nice. Hell yeah, that rules. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm hungry. Yeah. What about uh, what about you guys? What's the best hors d'oeuvre you've had in our in our time off? Dude. Uh- Tom, what about you're in a fine cuisine part of the world now? You've probably had plenty of hors d'oeuvres. Yeah, I'm in the land of uh, very sweet drinks and Second Amendment twinks. That's what I said. <laughs> I'm in Georgia. The house is great. No complaints. Um, we closed on this house. Without realizing, not not without realizing, but Gab had planned a trip to Iceland. Um, within the first week and a half that the uh, the closing 
happened on. So it's been a lot of flying. I drove down here twice. I've flown mm-hmm. up north. I've had to go to New Hampshire for a wedding. I had to go to Iceland. Uh, it's been a lot. And I got to say, people rave about these Icelandic hot dogs. Uh-uh. What's a Icelandic hot dog? I don't know. It's just like a, a hot dog with onions and some kind of sweet mustard. And like everyone who would never eat a dirty water dog in New York City, ew, ew. They go, oh, oh, Iceland. They have hot dogs. Oh, I got to try it. It's like this. Well, it's because they cook it in glacial water. That's the difference. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. Yeah. But I must say, honestly, not any better than a dirty water dog here. Uh, truly. Iceland's a beautiful place. They really like gay people. It's very strange. Like, every place is painted with a pride flag. Everyone's also really buff, too, right? It's like buff gays. There's a lot of buffs. Uh, there's a lot of tourists. Loads oh, okay. of tourists. Um, mm-hmm. And the gay thing, it's like, it, it's fine, but it's also tiring. It's like anything else. It's, it's, it's like Christmas. It's like when you have your Christmas decorations up year round. But instead of Santa Claus, it's gay. So, okay. Um, not to complain. It's just an observation. I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, they love they love the environment. They will. Rem- you'll just be sitting at the bar, and someone will bring up climate change. And just like as if it's a casual starter conversation. Yeah, it's just what they talk about. I mean, and down here it's not much different, except they talk about how it doesn't exist. <laughs> so I don't know. It's just. I've been observed. I've seen a lot of culture shifts recently. Mm. Um, food in Iceland, very good. Hot dog, overrated. And Tom, did you become the hot dog? Did you go into one of those hot springs and boil? Mm-hmm. I did. How was that? That was awesome. I highly recommend the trip in general. Do the Golden Circle yeah. tour bus. Get on there, see all the sights. It's beautiful. The pictures don't do any justice. Yada yada. <laughs> So I'm not going to show anyone anything, but just go see it. It's very interesting. It's a cool place. And uh, the people are very nice there. All right. Just hot dogs overrated. That's the main take. Yes, hot dogs overrated. Don't let let your friend who is vegan for six years try to talk you into that. Mm. Do it on your own accord. (laughs) Well, I've always wanted to try the Swedish variant of the hot dog, which is just the hot dog in a pita bread like into a cone, and then they fill it with shrimp uh, shrimp salad. Is that real? Apparently that's like their drunk food. Like you get out of a club and like suck some shrimp. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds great. Man. The morning after breath must be un- unreal for that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. S- Swedish good, good morning kiss. <laughs> uh, uh, so I'm basically entering what Tom just went through because I'm moving... Uh, back east, uh, closing on a house in Poughkeepsie, making moves. I'm excited because right around the corner from my house is this like famous Italian deli, and they make sandwiches Wait, the size of your. You're head. moving around the corner from that place. There's a there's a new one they opened. They opened up oh a second location, and it's like literally 
what Less is Rossi's yep. Russo's? Yeah. Oh my god. I was <laughs> when you said Poughkeepsie before, I was the only thing that popped into my mind is I wonder how close he's gonna live to that deli. <laughs> yeah, they opened up a, a second location about. just for me. That's like literally right down the road from me. <laughs> oh my god. Travis, I might be visiting you a lot. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well you're all welcome. Everyone, everyone listening is all welcome. <laughs> I have one spare bedroom yet to all the listeners have to go at once. Right. Yes. You know, they all have to fit in that room. I'll like push it in. It's it's so, all hammocks uh, that are covered yeah. in honey. Yeah. Yes. It's roast mortem con and it's at Travis's spare bedroom. Yeah. And we're just eating the sandwiches from that place. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh so we're really excited and it just so happened that I'm reading this book and for the next person that I'm doing. And it's all about Poughkeepsie. Well not all about Poughkeepsie, but all about that area. I didn't even know. I was like, whoa, this could have happened in my new backyard. That's but Tom, perfect. Tom, tell me about a man that probably floated past your house at some point. He definitely did. Uh, we are a port city. Yeah. And um, Sterling Hayden was no stranger to the ports, that's for sure. Sure, he stopped here. The last episode we talked about, it's quite a while ago, not a full recap, but the very last thing we covered was Sterling Hayden getting away with fi- uh, commanding fire on a British ship. An allied British oh, ship. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. He got away I, with I it. I couldn't remember if we left off right before the war or during the war. And now I remember he right, already he, fired on the British. Correct. And he called his wife like a whore rat or something. Uh, yeah, what was well, he, a wharf rat? Wharf rat. Wharf rat. Yeah. Wharf rat. <laughs> That's nice. So, let's pick up here. We got December 22nd, 1943. Captain Melvin Benson, direct liaison to the British Tito connection, found himself in hot water for speaking poorly of his British friends for taking credit for work he and his men had done. Now the Brits, as they do, got pretty mad and lodged a complaint with the OSS. Benson had to go to Cairo and say sorry, leaving the liaison position open. Now, Second Lieutenant John Hamilton, a.k.a. Sterling Hayden, was appointed to the role and within a day was headed off to find new trade routes between the Italian coast and Yugoslavia. Oh, yeah, we got a we got the boss coming in, right? The boss G, Yugo, Yugoslavia. Yeah, Tito. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My my man. Um, Yeah, there's. Well, without getting too into it. The benevolent dictator that he was, it's not so clear-cut. And um, I'm not going to lean into it here, but let's let's just pretend he's an okay dictator instead of a great dictator. Run of the mill. Yeah. Your yeah. average dictator. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he was tasked with scouting Corsola, uh, an island off modern-day Croatia, north of Barry. First trip off the Dalmatian, off to the Dalmatian Islands, which is uh, part of Corsula, uh, Kors- is part of that. Uh, Hayden. And That's his- where they wear dogs. They wear coats made out of dogs. Yes, everyone. Yeah. Everyone has two colors in their hair, and they didn't dye them like that. No, they were born that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the name actually comes from the hair, and they found yeah. dogs that kind of looked like that. Yeah, they painted them exactly. <laughs> Hayden and his men were wiped out by bad weather and had to return on the first day. Uh, when they left again, they discovered that the Germans had fully occupied Corsola, taking it off the table as a distribution hub for gear. 
Hayden took his men to the neighboring island of Havar. While in Havar, Hayden was almost killed twice. Once while the partisan HQ had been bombed, luckily they decided to hold their meeting outside that day, since it was nice. And again, while driving, being driven in a Fiat by a uh, partisan driver, the driver was actually killed instantly, but somehow Hayden survived the scene unharmed. He was right in the thick of war. This man seen it. Yeah, he's seen combat. I, I had to do a little quick research here because this was very important. I could have broken news across the world. Havar is not where Havarti cheese comes from. Oh. <sighs> That's Denmark. I, yeah, I could have told I you. I thought that. you were going to tell us a, a cool fact about Dalmatians, but... <sighs> We'll save that, I guess, for another time. Uh, well, if that's where they made Havarti cheese, it would be an island worth fighting for. True. Yeah, otherwise... Who cares? What do you need another island for? <laughs> yeah, we had to beat the Nazis because they have really nice chocolate in Switzerland and all that area, and then in, in Austria, what, in Bavaria. What does Yugoslavia and the, uh, the fallout countries provide at all? What, what do they provide? Rocky. Uh, the set design for Game of Thrones. Okay. That's, that's something. That's all I got. That's, that's worth something. fighting for. Oh, uh, tracksuit exports. Yeah, Slavs. Oh, Come yeah. Come on. Okay. All right, we're going to pretend those are a net positive and continue. <laughs> Dude, think about what the world would be like without Slavs. Our, all of our thighs would be just like f nothing. You need to do those Slav squats every once in a while. I'm saying. I they invented so. it. They when's invented the what your thigh does. Travis, when's the last time you did a, squ a squat at all? Uh, dude, I'm... Denomination I'm of the world uh, aside. <laughs> dude, technically I'm squatting right now. I'm just using a chair to help me. Oh, okay, so. yeah. The assisted uh, American <laughs> squat. Yeah. <laughs> so Hayden, he leaves Havar for Vis, a small island west of Havar, to assist the evacuation of 1,200 Yugoslavian refugees. Once he arrived in Vis, the British radioed that there was nothing for he and his men to do there. So that didn't work out. Although he had explicit orders to stay there, he kind of hung out on the coast for a few days and was like, fuck this, I'm going back to Monopoly to chill with the boys. That's right. All right. Go get in more trubs with the British. Exactly. His commanding officer, Robert Co uh, Major Robert Cock... We're going to go with cock. What was it? Coke, right? K-O-C-H? Oh, K-O-C-H? Yeah, yeah, it's Coke, but you can say cock. I like no, cock. it's the Cock Brothers. Yeah, the Cock. Yeah, the Cock Brothers. Major Robert Cock was furious to find out that Hayden had returned and told him to see him in his office 8.30 a.m. to prepare for his journey back. Next morning happened to be New Year's Day. Hayden was out partying, and he didn't show up at Cock's <laughs> office. This, along with some other disagreements between Cock and Hayden's team, resulted in them being removed as a partisan liaison, no longer running supply. So he's out. He's out, even though he was one of the best. He just, he just he, couldn't work with everybody. Yeah, you know, he butt heads and he drank too much. He was cool. In your, he's a cool dude. Yeah. yeah. In your research, did he pick up any, like, cool Yugoslavian bro dads that were just like, yeah... He like had friends. he had a thing for the partisans. He loved them. He was so psyched to be around them while he was there. He was like, 
these are my guys. Look, they're all kind of communists, and I'm coming around to being a communist, and they're all getting along, and they're so brave, and we're just handing the supplies. They're fighting the fight. A few days after he was sent to Albania to ferry a group of American medics and nurses whose plane went down, some of them recognized the famous actor as he shuttled them to safety. Working alongside the partisans reminded Hayden of his work uh, of his friend Warwick Tompkins, uh, the communist involvement that he was into, and the literature right. that he had been sent to him during his stay, uh, or he was saying, excuse me, the literature that he was sending to him from Sausalito. Yeah. Tommy literature? Oh, yeah. Whew. That good, good. Yeah. Cool, guys. Dude, that Len- cool Len- paper. Yeah, that Lenin papers. <laughs> yeah, they, they were, uh, Tompkins was way into it at this point, and Hayden's watching these partisans and he's like they're communists and they they seem to be like really into their shit um so the other oss officers started to see hayden go red they're looking at this guy and and it wasn't uncommon for an oss officer to have this sympathy to red because they picked up all the nerds see like communism is for nerds it's not for alphas at all so because it's all these like special tactics intelligence officers, of course they're gonna be nerds. Oh yeah. So he's just hanging out with the cool guys. Is what you're saying? The guys who think they're cool. <laughs> the, well, the, well guy, the guys who hit on underage girls. Oh uh, no 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 no. I'm just gonna say if you're gonna be converted to like communism uh, from hanging around people, it's gonna be the Slavs. Like they know how to party. You know, they know, like, one of the things I want to do before I die is go to, like, a Slav or Eastern European wedding. It's, like, three days long, and they're, like, shit-faced the entire time and yeah. pigs like, and shit. If you're talking to, like, a Soviet communist, they're going to start cl- talking about, like, collectivization and farming. And if you're talking to the Slavic communists, they're like, why don't you just have a beer, man, and smoke three more cigarettes? Like... Yeah, we're all mm. communists. That's what we're here to do. Here to do. Yeah, <laughs> everyone had free smokes. Everyone had kegs in every village. <laughs> like, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, but um, all right, we're not here to talk about that at the moment. I think it might be good <laughs> to wait till the end of the episode to kind of tear apart our opinions on communism. Okay. 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 All right. So we will stay in Kyle- that vein. Connor's wearing a red shirt, so we already know where he's at. Dude, it's my pit red, shirt. white, and blue, bro. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> he kept correspondence with Tompkins, as well as his rum-drinking, whore-fucking author captain friend, Lincoln Colcord. They both sent him stuff to read. Tompkins sent him this communist pamphlets, not even full books. Probably can't even read them. Spelling's probably awful. And Colcord sent him real books. Colcord sent him... A book called uh, Walden by Henry David Thoreau. Okay, it's a first-hand account of the author's experience of living off grid. This book was in- inspired Hayden's next idea of documenting the partisan forces via documentary film. Okay, he's the best guy for the job. He's a Hollywood yeah. man. You know, he's been around cameras. He could write a script. Yeah, but I don't know if the U.S. Army is going to like let him document commies. Well, are I they? Think- 
at this time, you got to remember, this is uh, we're going against fascism now. Yeah. Yeah. He's Uncle Joe. Yeah. Uncle Joe Stalin still. Yeah, I, I think we had an uneasy friend friendship with them for sure, right? Well, yeah, of course. Um, you didn't want to. You can't really join the cool kids club. You know what I mean? Like, you, you gotta. You, you don't want to get burned. You don't want to be called out. You know? Who are the cool kids here? Uncle Joe. <laughs> cool uncle. You know? It's cool Uncle Joe. So, uh, all right. So uh, Hayden actually does get wrapped up into running ammo across the Adriatic Sea again because they saw it as uh, a misstep in taking him off that. But instead, he was running to the Albanians. Um, so he ran across a couple times, pick, uh, dropping off Albanians or dropping off guns and picking up Italian prisoners. Uh, another famous actor happened to be on the scene, a British Navy officer at the time, Sir Anthony Quayle tells in his biography how inconsiderate Sterling Hayden was with the Italian prisoners at the time. And, uh... <laughs> Quayle was in charge of receiving and unloading supplies from Sterling's trawler. And, um... Sterling just hated the British. So if he wanted to make them work for it, he would. So if his job was to get supply to a British dock, he would park as far out as possible so the British would have to row their little boats out there. So <laughs> that's just good, clean fun. Oh yeah, like, come on. Yeah. So the first, so Quail sees this and goes, "Hmm, I bet to fix this." And he rows out there with a bunch of guys, and they're like, "Hey, uh, whoever captains this vessel, can you bring it in a bit closer? It will be easy." Sterling's men just start taking supply and throwing it on the ship, and like they hit the guy. It's, it's like, ah, you fucking stupid. Um, they row back to land. Sterling also rows back a few minutes after following him. Quail approaches him and says, uh, Hey, man, can you bring that thing in like uh, a couple hundred more feet so we could do this properly? Sterling goes, I don't think these waters are safe enough to do that, friend. And gets back on the boat, says, you got 20 minutes to pick it all up. <laughs> <laughs> How uncouth! Now, uh, there's this weird discrepancy. I don't know how much of this story is true, but Quail basically started this rumor or tall tale that Hayden had ordered the death of 30 Italian prisoners. What really happened, or according to... Sterling was that uh, he he was under com he was commanding a few partisans, and they were supposed to be ferrying some Italians from the shore back to a ship. Now the partisan who was in command of his little partisans, they went to the thirty Italian men and shot them all. No one can find the bodies, but apparently this happened according to multiple sources and Sterling said I had nothing to do with that decision apparently the guy who commanded uh, the, the guy under me who commanded his men to shoot all the people uh, he his wife had been raped to death by Italians so oh. Sterling was like I get it <laughs> I uh, didn't order him to do it wink 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 <laughs> yeah well yeah Sterling was the guy standing behind him when he was unloading breaking pasta 
in half. <laughs> Snapping spaghetti is in half. That's like uh, you've heard the story of the British and the uh, the Arabs, and they would soak the the bullets in pig blood. Yeah, it wasn't. That's what they used to do with Italians. They just snapped the pasta in front of them. Wait, who? Before they died. Who soaked bullets in pig blood? It's like. It's been a rumor to have happened a few different times. I don't know when the confirmed, because I think there is a confirmed instance of it. But it was like fighting a Muslim. Travis, you know, if it was like. I, I don't. There's yeah, rumors I, that it happened in the Philippines with the U.S., but that's not been proven. I've heard it's happened in like almost every war that that like Westerners have fought, like fought back against. To like, eh, yeah, the Crusades, like soaking your sword in pig's blood. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know confirmed which war uh, it was, but. All right. So you're sending them to hell. Yeah. Right. And right. you're sending and you an do, Italian if to you do hell. That, yeah, if you do that to an Italian, if you break a spaghetti in front of them as they die, they can't go to heaven. Right. That's actually what Dante's Inferno was about. That's how the book starts. Oh, that he makes broke, sense. Yeah, he yeah. broke the It's the, the devil escorting him to the, the deepest circle of hell after yeah. doing so. Man. Must be brutal to get snapped in front of like that. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's but, called snapping one off. Yes, yeah, sna- snap that one off. Don't you dare snap one off in my face. I snap a you face. <laughs> By mid-spring of 1944, Hayden had finished his runs to Albania and was put in the hospital with hepatitis. He spent, <laughs> he spent a few Ooh. weeks there looking skinny and yellow. When he was all healed up, he started devising a plan to sabotage the German-run railroads in Yugoslavia. He and Lieutenant Robert Thompson spent three weeks doing recon to develop a plan, and right before he was going to hand it in to Major Robert Cox approval, uh, for Major Robert Cox approval, he learned that the British had developed a nearly identical plan that ended up going over no problem. (laughs) Dude, uh, Brits Brits beat him to it. Yeah, he must have been pissed that the Brits took his plan. Yeah, there apparently had been a lot of that. Uh, the Brits were not very, like this. This whole theater, this Adriatic Sea theater, it was under British control. Like we, as Americans, we I'm going to say a strong we weren't given the credit due because we the royal we yes the royal <laughs> we us of United States got fucked when it comes to credit there. So we took it back in the history books. That's right. <laughs> Uh, With more spare time on his hands, he decided to pick up the documentary idea again. He had submitted a request uh, to be to begin the project uh, the the next year, but it was or he wanted to get this thing done. Remember how I had just mentioned that a little while ago? How he had the documentary thing. He did submit the idea before it kind of fell through. He didn't have enough uh, of the planning set up. He didn't have enough free men to make it happen. So, he basically revived that. Um, This time, Lieutenant Commander Edward Green endorsed the project and acquired all the personnel and equipment they needed. Green had written the chain of command um, that was over him. He was just uh, kind of waiting their approval and somehow leaving out that Lieutenant John Hamilton was actually Sterling Hayden. I don't know why he did that. Um, <laughs> no reports of this project. It, it did fall through later, but yeah. none of it mentioned that it was going to be headed up by a movie star. Right. He was going by a different name, right? Yeah. Lieutenant For John Hamilton. stuff. Yeah. yeah. 
So I, f I forget. I know he had like the very <laughs> meteoric rise where he was getting like big movie deals quickly. How famous is he at this point? Like, is he? He's not like the number one star in America, but in he, that top tier. So he broke records with his rise to fame. He only did two movies. And the first oh, one was right. a co-star. The second one was a starring role. So uh, people had never seen anything so like that. So he's like the new coming star. And it was just like a meteoric jump to that level. Exactly. So but hadn't really settled in. Okay. And people did go see movies more back then. Like it wasn't. It wasn't today. People people enjoyed like theaters were constantly packed out. Everyone saw, uh, yeah. what was it? The ba Bahama Gone Passage. with the Wind forty seven times. Yeah, like yeah. people <laughs> saw this shit. So um, the Brits didn't see it. Internationals didn't see it, but Americans saw it. They knew who he was. Right. So he's he's he had this meteoric rise and he tapped out when he could have just kept going. Kind of like uh, Brandon Lee when he was like, I tapped out. He got shot. <laughs> To death yeah. on a movie. He topped set. out. He top tapped out. <laughs> he he opted to suicide? What? Yeah. Yeah. Tapped was out. Was he working with Alec Baldwin at the time? I didn't know that he ever worked with the uh, he, <laughs> he it was probably from his personal collection, Alec Baldwin. Yeah. <laughs> so this uh Lieutenant Commander Green, uh he needed to get approval from the head of the OSS. Um, I'm totally forgetting his name, but Sterling knew him personally. That's how we got in here. We, I mentioned in the previous episode. Uh, he needed uh, approval from wait, him. Wait, Tom, on every time, and I know this is an, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but, uh, the last episode, we were talking about the OSS a lot. And like, I remember I just went to, uh, go see a exhibit at a museum about Bob Hope doing the OSS tour and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But every time I hear OSS, I don't know if you remember from our high school, there used to be a regional gang called the OSS, Official Station Soldiers. I don't remember that. <laughs> it was a small small little gang of Huntington Station hoodlums called the OSS. You'd well, see it. I, I, were they active members in our school? Were, were yeah. We, were we victims of gang? Was I gaslit? You were gaslit by the OSS. Wow. Time did you get mugged by the OSS? Wow. Yeah. I don't know. I, so mean, I don't know. I just I just think about those Looney Tune oversized Looney Tune shirts and like big ass jeans. Yeah. Uh, whenever you keep saying OSS. Well, I mean, the only fights I got in in high school were with white kids, and white kids join join the gangs. They join militaries. That's kind of what they do. Yeah, militaries or the rowing club or the rowing club. <laughs> Good point. So, Green is seeking approval for this project. He's trying to get it started, and he made a very prominent note, because everyone had seen Sterling turning red on him. Okay, and they go, listen, if any of this communist shit pops up in the film, I'm just going to cut it out. That was a selling point. So, it did, it did get a little more steam. Hayden's script mm -hmm. was 11 pages and 150 scenes. A lot of it's like, uh, you know, those one line, you know what I'm talking about, those old war movies where it's like uh, one guy narrating. Look at our boys. Yes. Here they go. <laughs> yeah, there, there's two lines of narration, and then there's way too much B-roll, and then yeah. a little more narration. So an 11-page script is pretty substantial for the time. Yeah, and the narrator is going to say something that sounds really gay nowadays, but it's supposed to be super masculine. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> look at those boys, suck them Nazis off. 
And you're like, what are you talking about? And he, you know, back then, sucking them off means like bashing their brains in. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. yeah, it used to be uh, quite a hard thing to say. Yeah. And it's like you see a clip of them doing maintenance. Like, Jimmy and Johnny love polishing each other's guns, <laughs> keeping them well-oiled and moving. Yeah. All Jimmy's got the Jimmy's got yeah. the most modern pump action shotgun. Look at him pump. Those tanks can really ram. <laughs> yeah, that's macho shit, dude. Yeah, I like that. Hayden's script, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it was well planned out and ready to roll. Unfortunately, due to the military bu- bureaucracy, the thing uh, it got passed up on. It just, just retardation. You know, that's, that's why things don't get done. Faded into obscurity. Now, Hayden was assigned to a mission to retrieve gunned down American airmen in Yugoslavia. He parachuted into Croatia. Hayden reported that he landed there solo and waited a couple days until the other team members had popped around. Hayden and his team made the journey to the gunned down airmen. The fuck did I write here? Yeah, I thought I, you know, when I listen back to some of the episodes, I can never listen to the whole episode. I'm always like, man, I have a hard time reading. I just realized that I can't write. That's the fucking problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's less the reading problem, more the other side. (laughs) Yeah, I just write like a fucking monkey. (laughs) Let's see. Um, I feel you, man. So we're dealing with like a, like a Sterling Hawk down. Yeah. Sterling has fallen. It's a, it's a Sterling. Behind enemy lines. It is definitely a Sterling Hawk. Um, so one thing that's interesting to note is that Sterling's field reports were always very consistent, but around this time, they start varying like crazy. Uh, initially landing, he's making reports every day. Initially landing, he goes, oh, I'm by myself. And then a couple days later, he goes, I landed with all these other guys. And then uh, a couple days later, it's we saved Air, eight airmen and then later on it's there were no airmen um i don't know what that's about and uh can't the story straight it's not like he was murdering people and going oops actually there was no one there um i don't think anything happened i think he was just drinking a lot mm. he wasn't taking out the uh the bourgeoisie <laughs> i don't know just drinking hard liquor maybe drink he was a big fan of that the, Do you speak any of these Slavic languages? Do you know? He spoke French. That's not <laughs> Slavic at all, but he got no, French. No. Hayden's What's these squiggly weird Skrillex language they're talking about? <laughs> Skrillex <laughs> language. Yeah, Skrillex language. What are these words dribbling out of your mouth? Stop saying them backwards. <laughs> Hayden's perspective of the partisans started to shift around this time. They were no longer the strong society fighting for liberty, but aggressive abusers of the common people, which turned about to be somewhat true. He thought that they had been defending the towns of Yugoslavia, but instead they would kind of just camp out there and use all their resources. And when German forces would pass through, they would run away and the Germans would take all the resources. So he hadn't been this far in. Everything he... All of his assumptions were kind of just made from being on the coast and doing all these runs. Now that he was seeing these people in action, he was like, oh, they're a bunch of cowards. He's a coastalman. He should never be more than 700 feet from 
the shoreline. Yeah. And those are every everywhere in the world within 700 feet of the coastline. That's his people. Yeah. You he's, just, okay. he's just like me. I could never attend the Iowa caucus. <laughs> he He's at home on the Dalmatian coast, just like he was on the New England coast. Yeah. I'm sure if he went to the Sea of Japan, even during World War II, he would have found some friendly fishermen. He's a, he's a salty seaman. That's he sure look at these salty seamen really packing them in there. Fish yeah. and dicks. The, the Japs can't take all our salty seamen boys. They used to call Sterling the, the fisherman's friend because he would go right down your throat and fucking clean it out, boys. We have, so these, he doesn't like these inland people. No, no, he doesn't like them. In fact, after seeing them operate. His mind changed from, oh, these are the folks who are going to change the fucking world. They're going to figure out how to do this all right, to totally changing his tune. He says, once the war is over, this place is going to turn to a fucking hellscape. These people are assholes. <laughs> Hayden was sent back to D.C. for 30-day leave and an evaluation and a reassignment. Once again, his military assessment was outstanding. His report stated... He is essentially a seaman and has demonstrated great skill in handling small vessels on clandestine missions along the Dalmatian coast. He has great courage and has shown an almost reckless regard of his own life. So that that lines That's up. That's good. That if 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 we had to start an episode anywhere, I think that would sum it up. Yeah. This is sure. who we're dealing with. Yeah. He's essentially a seaman. He's capable. <laughs> Fully capable seaman guy. Did we ever uh, assess? Does he know how to swim? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Didn't he like swim across somewhere? Something? Because I feel like a lot of sailors. It's funny because I talked. I remember one of our friends I was talking to, Tom and I had friends. We were talking about uh, like how many people in the navy actually know how to swim. He's like none of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of weird. Yeah. I think maybe that's like the motivation is you'll stay on a ship that's sinking. Because yeah. you're gonna you're gonna die if if this ship doesn't stay floating right now. Yeah, if if you're uh, filling out the Navy application and you answer yes to that question, they put you in the Air Force. <laughs> Try swimming now, you pansy. <laughs> also, I don't mean to keep bringing up my awesome life, but in Iceland, by the age of six. The government pays for everyone to learn how to swim. Swimming lessons all day. They love their pools, man. Pools That's important. everywhere. Yeah, I That's mean. That's pretty cool. It's neat, but how many fishermen do they have now? Not enough, I don't think. Yeah. Well, they're eating hot dogs without shrimp salad on top. <laughs> we did eat a lot of shrimp, I will be honest. Um, yeah, the reason they do that, though, is because they were an island country all that all that fishing and stuff that was going on, people were just drowning left and right. Yeah. Um, so they were like, all right, we got to teach these fucking idiots how to swim. And there you go. That's important. All right. There you go. Some people called them the island boys before they knew how to swim. Do we know if they, they know how to grills. swim? They, we've only ever Dude, seen they, footage of them standing no up. No way. In they said no way they know how to swim. Yeah. Mm, not a chance. Yeah. Apparently, did you see the new new drama about the Island Boys? No, tell me. Let's get Scott, let's get topical. Well, you should call Mike in. This is topical. Yeah, no, they they have an OnlyFans, and there's like a weird video of like them kissing and their brothers, 
And then there was a video of them like insinuating that they're giving them one of them a beach. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting choice for the island boys. Yeah. Interesting's a good word. Uh, I take back what I said about Sterling getting along with everyone that lives on the coast. He would not get along with those two. No, no, he would. Uh, he would be very upset if he looked at yeah. them even once. Okay, so for his shore leave, he spent time with his mom. She had moved into the house that Sterling and Madeline bought up in uh, Connecticut. Madeline was still in Italy on Red Cross duty. During his time with his mother, he he learned that she never received any letters he wrote. Now, he wrote letters to everyone all the time. So he was very mad about that. I don't know why she didn't get the letters. Um, maybe because he was OSS and they go, oh, he's got this intelligence like kind of tie. We can't have this shit getting out. So that made him furious, and he starts drinking a lot, because that means all of his letters, his hundreds of letters, didn't go out. He then goes to Bangor, Maine, to visit his friend Lincoln Colcord. Their conversation... I remember this guy. Yeah, he was awesome. This guy rules. I like him, yeah. This one with the hot wife? Yeah. The one who was like, first time she met little Sterling, was like, you don't fuck whores? What the hell? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) What, what you, went down to Haiti to, you went down to Haiti to eat ice cream? Yeah. Are you a baby boy? Well, yeah, there's better ways to do Haiti. Uh, so their conversation the first night was very intense. Colcord recalling some of the things that Hayden had said in um, some previous letters, not the ones he had not sent out. Um, he was kind of like questioning his political views. He goes... This whole communism thing, your friend Warwick Tompkins. Mm. Colcord, being several years older, spoke of his time as a hard socialist when he was in his 20s. He knew men like Tompkins, and he knew they would use impressionable men like Hayden to get their stupid message out. He predicted that they would use him and his status. Hayden was kind of taken back. He was very blunt with him. He was like, I, I don't want to see you, t- you getting involved with these fellows because they fuck with you and they use your shit to push an agenda and you don't even understand this stuff. Like, that's a good friend. Yeah, looking out for him. He's, he's shown he's been looking out for, for Sterling all these years. Yeah, yeah he's he telling like me, a... he's like, you got to start smoking, you got to start drinking, you got to fuck these blonde whores. Like, <laughs> of course, don't fucking get into this. I don't think he was steering him into, like, pro-capitalist either. I think he was just, like, careful with these fucking guys. Just right? don't yeah, get involved a, in anything. Yeah, yeah, he's one of those manipulator guys. Oh, he's manipulating? <laughs> don't no, listen I'm, to these guys okay. manipulating you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I don't know. I think he might be manipulating him. He could have been a sweet little boy eating ice cream, sailing around the world, and now, and joining the revolution. And now, look where he is. Mm. The awesome revolution. Okay. So Hayden was taken back. All of his, like, beliefs that he had kind of been leaning into, all of a sudden, they're, like, not working together. He had seen the partisans be shitheads in Yugoslavia, and then Colcords, who's a man whose wisdom far precedes anything that that Sterling yet has. He hasn't obtained the Colcord status. So Colcord goes to bed, and Hayden drank some more and then did something worse than a drunk hookup. He called up Warwick. Tompkins and arranged for a meeting 
and some positive reinforcement for his stupid beliefs. All right. Okay. Now he flows. <laughs> Shortly after, Warwick flies out to be with his pal. Warwick brought Hayden all of... Um, wait, what the fuck? I re- Guys, I can't write. Remember, it's, another, it's not the reading. reading issue. It's not a reading <laughs> issue. It's a writing <laughs> issue, I assure you. So Hayden flies out to the West Coast to be with his pal, Tompkins. Tompkins brought Hayden around to all of his communist friends and his, his stupid meetings to show him off. He's like, look, we got a partisan ally here. He's fighting the good thing. He knows what's up. Sterling, he even like quit drinking and smoking for a week to kind of present himself better to these losers. Don't know why. Most of these West Coast chumps asked Sterling to recount his war stories over and over again. They were mostly rich kids and artists with no real work experience. Tompkins introduced him to the high-ranking members of the California Communist Party and press. After a week, Hayden flew back to New York City to wait for his OSS reassignment. He met with Tompkins' communist contacts in the city, but he didn't get anything out of that. He liked Tompkins. He still liked his presence. Um, The communism stuff, it seemed to come second. It was like me liking Volkswagens when I was 21. I just wanted to hang out with my friend Taylor. I didn't really like Volkswagen. <laughs> they're kind of stupid. <laughs> so his, uh, the faith in communism, it was, it was there enough, okay? He would sign the lease. In January of 1945, Hayden arrived in D.C. for reassignment. After a private dinner with Eleanor Roosevelt and Creekmore Fath, a big-time Washington lawyer, Hayden... Say, say that name again? Creekmore? Creekmore yeah. Fath. Like fat with an H at the end. Creekmore? Creekmore. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, actually, hold on. Is that a Star Wars character? Yeah, Creekmore <laughs> Fatmore. Yeah, like he's got a pod racer. Yeah, you're trying to sneak Barf Shitto in there between <laughs> Eleanor Roosevelt. <laughs> so Creekmore Fat. Yes, he's here. You can Google that wow. name. and I, I'm not reading this, but... Creekmore. Yeah, he's, he's there. Creekmore Fat, known for his... Uh, Known, known by, oh, see, it is a reading problem. Uh, he attended the University of Texas at Austin, blah, 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 School of Law in 1937. He's a real man. I didn't make that up. Well, I mean, he's hanging out with Eleanor, so he's definitely getting pegged by Eleanor. Oh, probably. I mean, Eleanor needed some, she needed a working hiney to fuck. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, why do you think FDR couldn't walk? <laughs> Pulled out that massive dong that he stra- that she strapped on. She was a strong cousin wow. lady. Yeah. <laughs> Creekmore. Now, he was going to be stationed in Germany as the head of an OSS intelligence unit. On February 14th, Valentine's Day, he was promoted to captain by the Marine Corps. So, I think... He's finally a captain. He's a captain. He's chilling. Madeline had been living in Paris, and even though the two were, they were headed toward a divorce, and they hadn't seen each other in almost two years, Hayden thought it would be nice to call her up and ask her out on a date. Hey, wife, you want to go eat spaghetti or whatever they eat in Paris? Dude, he's not eating spaghetti, man. He's eating the clams. Yeah. He's well, I'm e- just saying, after all those years of fighting them eye ties, no oh, yeah. way he's eating that, those noodles that grow on trees. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Um, so he calls her up and he he calls her apartment. A guy answers. 
Oh, shit. They were based... was, it, was he British? Even worse. <laughs> Even better. I'll give you a good one. So Hayden asks to talk to Madeline. The man asks for his name. Sterling replies, what's your name, pal? The man answers, General Dwight D. Eisenhower, and hangs up the phone. Oh! Do you think it really was Ike, or was it a guy fucking with him? No, I, I, it probably was. I, I mean, Madeline was one of the biggest movie stars on the face of the planet. Oh, all right. So, so maybe it was. So needless to say, Madeline liked Ike. She, she did. <laughs> uh, and I guess he got cucking Howard. Wow. My God. Wow. Being cucked by the leader of the fr the free world's armies. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, and also, like, Eisenhower, I don't know, not a very handsome man. We're dealing with, like, the most handsome man, and then, like, Eisenhower is like, meh. I think Madeline's into power. Yeah, yeah. that's true. And I, there's a few people more powerful in human history than Dwight Eisenhower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in 44 and 45. Exactly. So the war was coming to an end, and Hayden's unit was supposed to go, go around to the small towns in Germany and find the German citizens that opposed Nazis. I don't know, like, whose idea this was, because it turns out that they all did. And at least they said they did. Hayden was disgusted by this. He knew the real anti-Nazi people were put in concentration camps and that everyone else was a phony. So this was a bit of his, like, uh, communist kind of attitude coming out and going, well, if you hated fascism, you would have fought him tooth and nail, right? But he, he forgets that not everyone's a six-foot-four uh, Norwegian-looking Viking fella. You know, he's talking to old ladies going like, why didn't you stab the Nazis? Right. I think we, we kind of, this was a while ago, but when we talked about Urge, uh, the Tintin, I don't think you were there for that episode. Tom. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually, yeah. I listened to that one. That was a great episode. Shout out to Lizzie. Yeah. I, I feel like uh, with Urge, it was like, what do you do in that situation, right? You have the Nazis occupying your, your country. It's like, uh, you know, yeah, not dude, everyone's going to fight. Resist openly and get shot in the back of the head. Yeah. Resist secretly and maybe risk getting shot in the back of the head. Not do anything and risk get shot in the head. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. also like, if you're not a soldier and you don't fight, like, that's not your place. You're just like a farmer or, I don't know, a carpenter. You're not really into... It doesn't make sense. Yeah. I, I also feel like Americans, especially... Like, you know, we, it's been, what, War of 1812 the last time we were invaded? Like, we're real tough to be like... Oh, yeah, brother, if they were in my backyard, I'd fucking bash their head in with my AK-47 or whatever I got. Yeah. Or same thing on the left. It's like, if I see a Nazi, I'm punching them in the face. Yeah. <laughs> I, I assure you, there's probably been one or two cases of that for for every million times it's been said. So, yeah. Not but we've never stat. had, we've, we've, America hasn't been invaded yet, China. China, come on. Come on, baby girl. No, it's too much ocean, man. It's too much ocean. Dude, yeah, they, they, need, they need a million Sterling Haydens to get to us. China already lasered. Did you hear the conspiracy? They lasered Hawaii. No, that's what started the fire. Yeah, they have a space laser. <laughs> man, oh. what an atrocity that we didn't get to use a space laser first. Yeah, we just recreated the sun over Japan. <laughs> yeah, but that's one time use. Okay? <laughs> and, and a second time, but yeah, that's they were basically time. once. Yeah. We <laughs> built a couple, right? <laughs> we know how to build it. We have the schematic. 
you know, if you guys came over here on my property, I'd be fucking bombing the shit out of you, okay? Yeah. <laughs> yes. The world so is... Sterling's on a Nazi hunt. Yeah, yeah he, he's on the Nazi hunt. find any Nazis. Yeah, the, I think this assignment was given to him just because, the, like, the Nazis surrendered in May of 1945. He is there in April. Like, yeah. everything is falling apart in Germany. Like, there is occupation in all these little towns from all the allied accesses. So they just throw people in there and go, well, find out how many of these people actually liked Hitler. Okay, let's get some yeah. stats, okay? <laughs> Fine. Walk around, look for the little windmill symbols. Yeah. <laughs> just imagine a guy... Dude, they're with... Buddhist. They're the symbols for Buddhist temples, Connor. <laughs> like, imagine a guy walking around, and he's just using a gun. It's not even loaded, like a rifle, to just kind of like move sewer caps and like little roofs that have fallen down tin roofs to just go anyone in there like nazis yeah <laughs> that's what he was doing hayden was put in charge of the photography division after the surrender so they got to go around to 53 port cities in germany denmark and norway to capture and document all the damage that had taken place Damn. it's nice that they sent him to the port cities well, it's back with his people. He knows how to get there. To the... Yeah, dude, that's he knows lot... what to to look for. If like, oh, I can tell that that dock is gone. Right. That's my sea knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> what about the rest of the place? Well, the dock wasn't in very good shape. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, there's your problem. All the boats have giant holes in them and are sunk yeah. in the harbor. Yeah. <laughs> In September, Hayden went to meet with Madeline in Paris, where they agreed on a divorce. Neither was sad about this separation. Hayden went back to America. He had spent 37 months in the military, 23 of which were overseas. Discharged with no interest in returning December 24th, 1945, with a silver star, a World War II victory medal, two bronze stars, and a bronze arrow. I don't know what any of that means. Star usually means you participated in a major military action. Um, don't know what the arrow is. Yeah, so I got three stars. Pretty good. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think we kind of glanced over the fact that after the divorce, Madeline, Ike showed up and was like, time for me to build an interstate in your colon. <laughs> <laughs> Get the out arrowhead of device for the U.S. military... Um, Denotes participation in an amphibious assault, combat parachute jump, helicopter assault landing, or combat glider landing. So that parachute jump is probably how we got the arrow. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So he goes back to America. He has no idea what he wants to do with himself. Is he going to return to the sea, or is he going to get political with Tompkins? He hadn't thought about acting. Acting isn't in the was not. It was totally not on the table. (laughs) For the record, Sterling Hayden is very clear. He he did not like acting, but he did like money. Uh, Hollywood thought of him. A Paramount agent reached out and offered him a sweet deal of fifteen hundred dollars a week and two grand a week uh, for the following year. Now that is a crazy amount of money. This is. In a time when America was buying houses for five grand, six grand. Oh my God. <laughs> so it was a no brainer. Hayden was back in Hollywood, just like that. He basically was there for like a week, didn't know what was up, and then just got a phone call and was like, I'm just ready to give you this deal from Paramount. 
Yeah. Do you want to become one of the highest paid people in the United States? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he signed a, a contract and gave up drinking and smoking right there on the spot for like Ooh. a week. Yeah. Ah. So before he was able to start, he spent some time on the East Coast. Then he had to drive out and move to Reno, Nevada for six weeks. Now, the reason he had to do that was to get the divorce from Madeline. Apparently, if you establish residency in Nevada, this was the only state that did it at the time, you'd be able to file all the divorce papers without the other person being there. Mm. And Madeline <laughs> knew this was going to happen. They agreed to do this. This was like a totally mutual, like, Hayden was just like, yeah, I guess I'll just go live in Nevada for six weeks. It's funny that Nevada just like consistently is like, what is something no other state allows? We'll allow it to get yeah. you to come live in this hellhole desert. <laughs> when I was at Tahoe, I was with a bunch of my weed friends. They were all smoking weed. Tahoe is split. So if you're down in the town, one side of the street has ga gambling and all the fun uh, Las Vegas-y kind of shit, and the other side of the street is a bunch of weed heads, all smoking <laughs> weed and listening to the Grateful Dead. There are cops standing on the corner. If you bring weed onto the Nevada side, they will put your ass in jail. I don't know why they do this. They, they love their alcohol. They love their gambling. They love debauchery. They just, like have a real stick up their ass about a retarded thing like weed. Well, because they don't want all those stoned Californians crossing their border. Well, Stone the problem is, it's isn't food also sometimes comped at Vegas casinos? Oh. Is it? So it's like, if you're smoking weed, you're no longer going to be gambling. You're just going to be like, I'm going to hang out at the shrimp cocktail lounge for five and a half hours. Truth. Yeah, that's why, I'm, that's why I'm barred from most casinos, because I don't even need weed. <laughs> Truthfully, you probably have to spend like a minimum of six, seven hundred dollars at a table before they start giving you vouchers. So right. that might be a hole in your theory, but... I don't smoke weed. So maybe I, you just you'd get stuck looking at the big eyeball if you're really stoned, yeah. and then you don't go mm. into the casino and you instead die of heat exposure. Yeah, the the one that's, that's already likely. broken because yeah. of the, the <laughs> tropical storm that came through. <laughs> so this six weeks that Hayden spent in Reno, they were hell. He was just living in prison. There's nothing to do there at the time. I don't think Reno was nearly as fun as it is now, and Reno's not that fun now, from my understanding. I haven't been. But the drinking and smoking thing, it came back in full effect. He was drinking every day. He was smoking constantly. Also, he realized that he was incredibly handsome and could fuck any girl. So he was doing that, which is kind of fun. Good for him. Good for him. Yeah. All right. And he probably thought of his friend Lincoln Colcord as he was doing so. Because that's what he would have wanted. If you can't see, <laughs> fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering if he's like spacing out while he's with these girls. I'm like, what are you thinking about? He's like, oh, my mentor's wife. She gave me great <laughs> advice that led me to this moment. I was thinking about a book I once read. <laughs> it was about a man who lived on the land and he had recovered. It's actually a book I'm writing. Would you like to hear about it? Oh, God. <laughs> so he makes it to six weeks and he finalizes a divorce. Good for them. Then, of course, he drives up to San Francisco to hang out with Warwick Tompkins, and they talk dirty. Now, as I mentioned before, Colcord had warned Hayden about the communists. 
that they would try to use his accounts in literature to fight non-existent fascists and make him look like a fool later. He'd regret it. Sure enough, that's what Tompkins tried to do. He talked about he talked to Hayden about writing a biography with a, a bit of a communist flair. But you know the way convincing goes, which is like, nah, don't make it political or nothing. You know, just talk about how you how you was over there, and then the partisans were pretty cool. And you loved Tito. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he was all sleazy about it. And even Sterling went down. Even when Sterling went to Hollywood after their their week hangout, Tompkins followed close behind, workshopping his story with him, really getting on his nerves at one point. Uh, during a moment of clarity, Hayden called up Tompkins and canceled the project. The one thing it did do, though, is inspire him to start writing. So he's set up in his new Hollywood apartment. He's like, you know what? I make a shit ton of money. I'm going to order a desk and a typewriter. That was a big thing back then. Mm. Yeah. That was, um, that was like buying a tree- cheese grater Mac four years ago. You know? Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. I'm rolling in the dough. Yeah, so he gets this—he gets the uh, the typewriter and the desk delivered. He's like, "Great, I can't wait to smoke and write." Yeah, uh, none of this standing desk shit that they have nowadays. It was—you sit on the typewriter with whiskey, smoke. Like the room becomes like a hot box of cigarette smoke. That's how creativity's done. Sure. None of this fucking. I stand and walk around on a treadmill. You gotta kill your lungs to be creative. I agree wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. I think you, I, you need to be. You need your spine needs to start compressing. Yes. That's, you need to squeeze creativity out of your your spinal cord into your brain. <laughs> All the bad thoughts. You need to let it happen. You have to yeah. develop diabetes because you're just drinking way too much, and um, you can you can get rid of diabetes if it's from drink. So I believe. I don't know if that's true. But <laughs> Test it out. that's what you need to do. Anyway, he quickly realizes while smoking and drinking too much that he can't write for shit. The, alco- the alcohol basically took full effect and he just couldn't start anything worthwhile. Every time he would write a few sentences, he would go, this is the worst thing ever. I feel like we've covered people on this show that pushed past that and kept writing for the rest of their lives. Oh, you mean like Allen Ginsberg? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jack Kerouac? <laughs> yeah, he did it. Um, you know, it's funny, too, because that whole beat world, I, I, I kind of hate them, but I get their point in a lot of ways. Like, not, not Ginsburg. Ginsburg sucks. But Kerouac and, like, Kerouac specifically. Now, mm-hmm. I read On the Road, and I thought it was awful. But I've read a lot of books that are the opposite approach, where everything in the room is described. Yeah, and, like Stephen King. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, this, uh-huh. this also sucks. So I think Kerouac, I got, in hindsight, I have to give him a little credit for going, I'm just going to write the shit that's happening. Because I, yeah. I kind of overlooked that. And uh, who cares about my literary perspective? I don't know why I'm talking about this. Um, I'm drinking <laughs> too much. Like Hayden. Let's You're see. method reading. Yeah, I, I am method reading. I, this means so much to me. Hayden thought to himself that his apartment might be the problem. 
So he headed down to the docks to find a boat to live in. Now, I, I don't know what day it was, but the day he decided to do this, he ended up spending 14 grand cash for a boat he named Quest. And um, that certainly filled a hole in his life. This is what, what he's needed all along. Buy yeah. a nice boat. Yeah. Yep. Uh, later, while sitting with his... Uh, he's sitting in his agent office. Uh, it's the same day he buys his boat, by the way, for contact. So he's sitting in his agent's office. Uh, Bert Allenberg. Uh, Hayden had... Wait. Oh, I can't write again. Hayden took note of a very sexy lady named B. Winters, who happened to be Bert Allenberg's secretary. The two knew each other. They had been around the lots before. They had a casual conversation. B. and her husband were part of the Communist Party of L.A. So, two were hanging out, waiting room. They're talking it up. The two talked for quite some time. Eventually, she hit him with the, uh, the, why aren't you in the fucking party already, huh? Huh? Where's your card? Yeah. yeah. Whips the papers out of her bag. Goes, yo, sign up for this shit. Right now, yo, don't be a bitch. He got got. He did it? He did. Mm. State Honeypot. Sterling Hayden signed up for the Communist Party. Right then and there, and later that night, he lay in the cabin of his schooner, wondering if anyone had ever bought a boat and joined the Communist Party in, the, in all in the same day. It's a good one. Yeah, I think that might be just him. Yeah. Get the think... Guinness people on the line. This is a Guinness World Record? This is, uh... this is the world record, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All so... right, so now he's a card-holding communist. Yeah, now uh, the only dockyard prob- card holding contest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's part of the yacht club and the People's Party. <laughs> <laughs> For the next six months, Hayden would attend weekly meetings with his assigned cell. Now the communists met in small groups called cells. They were about eight to sixteen people. Hayden was intentionally put into a cell with blue collar trade workers, um, you know, gaffers, stuff like that. Um, industry people, but still blue collar. Even though a lot of the party was actors and producers and writers and stuff like that, they tried to break it up so the cells would only have like one famous person in each one. Don't know mm. why. So the other people be like, I was in a room with Sterling Halen for a, lot, a long time. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's how they do it. They'd meet at different <sighs> locations every week from which the address was attained the previous week. So the first one, you get the freebie. You got to go to this meeting. If you don't go to a meeting, you're not going to know where we are. And you're going to have to find someone and talk it out and kind of beg for forgiveness. They're kind of a cult. Um, so there's no drinking at these parties, but everyone smoked a lot. They started at 8 p.m. and lasted for three hours. Hayden kept going, but hated the meetings and eventually tuned out everything. Um, they did use, so hour number one was like, let's talk about all the things that are happening in our area. Hour number two was like the theory hour, which was, is the worst part because to not wrap your head around communism in a matter of like 15 minutes. Is no like, one, no one likes theory of any discipline. Yeah. No, but no. <laughs> communists do because they're really up their own ass about this. They're like, like explaining, yeah. but no, if you know, if we all got the same thing, then Who's going to tell you what to do with your things than when you're doing with it? 
<laughs> that does that sounds actually a lot like Leon Trotsky. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but every meeting, it was an hour. Of, it was an hour of what's happening here, an hour of what's <clears throat> what the theory is, and the last hour was what's happening in the world. So Sterling kind of would tune in in the last hour because he was really he was into the people's fight per se. So when they wanted to talk about Russia and all that stuff. He was interested. That that piqued his interest. But the first two hours were like, this is fucking stupid. Yeah. I mean, that sounds nice. I'd go and poop and during hour two. Yeah. And then <laughs> come out for hour three. I don't yeah. know. With the way these people were, with the stick up their ass, they probably waited for you outside in the silence. Mm. Mm. Yeah. No, I would say keep the talk going. I'll listen in and I'd just be chain smoking cigs on the toilet bowl. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I'll, yeah at yeah, least yeah. I'll be smoking. Yeah. <laughs> I can hear you. I can still hear you. I'm just dropping some turds. <laughs> okay. After one of his meetings, B. Winters arranged a meeting with uh, Hayden and John Stapp, a full-time organizer of the California Communist. The two met at a restaurant on the Sunset Strip. Stapp was a serious, inquisitive type who was uh, looking to use Sterling to be his next useful celebrity idiot. Hayden didn't make any promises, and he kind of saw this guy for being a scum, so they left without anything actually tying together, but this made him think of his friend Colcord and what he was warning him about. See, Tom, from what you've described, maybe my, my opinion will change. I don't think that this is a hit on communism. This just sounds like a hit on Californians. Possibly. <laughs> L.A. Possibly. Yeah. I, I couldn't It's everybody that. like, yeah, it's everybody, oh, I know this dude. We're going to make them do this. Yeah, that's very relevant in the L.A. scene today, from my understanding. Yeah. And he talks about who they know and what projects they were going to work on until it got canceled. Yeah. And Logan Paul is not a communist. (laughs) But people will be like, do you see now he makes uh, socks? And I know him. So he's going to make my socks. Right. Well, Logan Paul, if he was a communist, he would kind of talk have these talking points that we're covering i suppose yeah yeah now to paint a picture hollywood was filled with various gangs trying to be union leaders and they were there was some very shady activity that was very normalized during this period in the 30s it was the international alliance of theatric stage employees the iatse which is still around today um, this is a union for stagehands and craft persons in the entertainment industry. Then another, I, so in the 30s, I believe a lot of actors were part of that union too. Could be wrong about that, but another union of thugs came around. Uh, they were called the Conference of Studio Unions, and they were led by a Herbert Sorrell. And they wanted to take the uh, Hollywood union members out of the IATSE and make the CSU the primary stage union. I support that because it's less letters. Yeah. Paul. <laughs> they may have like, been able to you know, win come people on. over. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, Hollywood, get with the backronisms. Yeah. SAG, they got that right. SAG. Easy to remember. Well, bang. SAG was around. In fact, one of the meetings that Sterling had with uh, a, an unnamed cell leader he gave Sterling the mission to push the fellow SAG members to support the CSU strikes that were going on. So the CSU had taken up some of the workers, and then they went on strike really hard. And um, they were very communist-leaning. 
Um, and the the, this is, was was more just straightforward union, like we just want right. the fair shit. There's a union. Yeah, yeah, they they didn't have these communist leanings. This was also roughly, I don't know exactly when he was, but Ronald Reagan was the union boss of SAG. Yeah, he was at this time. Uh, during the 40s, he was a uh, union leader. And, fuck, that, dude, perfect. Perfect guy to, yeah. to fuck communists. Dude, yeah. well, that was yeah, that was one of his big selling points, because in the 80s was like the last dying breath of unions. He was like, I was a union leader. I'm not going to fuck you guys. I love communism. Not really. Yeah, well, he he was pretty anti-communist, so um, we all know that. Um, so this this request by the cell leader was a pretty big ask. You see, uh, things were going off the rails with the SCU and how they were acting with their strike. Several of the IATSE members' houses were actually firebombed. Um, d- during the mid forties, it was, it got violent. It got very violent. Yeah. Um, so SAG did hold negotiations, Ronald Reagan directly holding negotiations with the CSU to resolve this strike. Negotiations did not go smoothly at all. Herbert Sorrell made it very clear that his strike would continue until the IATSE totally dissolved. So that being such a huge ask that didn't happen. That was like, you're fucking with the yeah. SAG's bread and butter. They're, this is not their problem. They're just trying to make this work for everyone. Um, I don't. I, I wasn't there for the meeting. I don't know what Reagan said, but it was probably something real sexy. And this other guy, Herbert Sorrell, he sounds like a fucking nerd. I think Ronald, whatever it was, Ronald Reagan had a mouthful of jelly beans. <laughs> Which is <laughs> just pretty cool. Just spitting them out. Yeah. Guys, guys, chill. Smooth. <laughs> Very smooth. I could imagine him tossing various beans in his mouth. One of those guys that varies between like pinto beans and jelly bean to keep yeah. things on the mm-hmm. level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep him always on his toes. So he, sometimes they'll crack a tooth. Sometimes they'll be sweet. <laughs> well, this kind of um, th- this negotiation that went so poorly was a big reason that Hollywood turned t- into such an anti-communist uh, sympathy like that that's what they spoke you know that the house of un-american acts like a lot of it stemmed from this kind of shit that was going on um both sag and the iatse had been radiating anti-communist agenda for quite some time but with the csu bullying they just ramped it up it was like this is what we are we don't fuck with these people anymore uh with all that bullshit happening Hayden started to pick up on some of the mind control techniques these commies were using on him. Uh, the small groups, the nearly religious meetups, and the constant lecturing of the same principles. They just kept, like, very, like I mentioned before, it was kind of a cult. And, yeah, if you want to call it the L.A. communists, sure. I don't know what other communists were doing. But um, they had useful idiots. They had actors. It's the uh-huh. same shit that happened with Scientology. Yeah, it's like, what you know, you could debate all day whether it's true communism or not. That's not the point. This sanction of Same it. Same thing was, that happens with everybody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's useful idiots in every movement. Yep, precisely. Um, so Sterling, he cracked. He said, "This is fucking gross, and these people are all dummies." His unique perspective of being able to compare the partisans and the trademen's L.A. guild. Um, they were totally different things. And the way it was being presented in these meetings, 
it really fell apart for him. So he officially resigned from the party in December of 1946, just six months after joining. And that's where we're going to leave off today. Okay, cool. Well, I foresee no issue with him having joined and left the Communist Party in pre-1950 Hollywood, right? There can't possibly be anything wrong to come with that. No, this no. couldn't haunt him. A little, no. a little guy named Roy Cohen is never going to exist and never influences <laughs> Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, did you guys see Oppenheimer? No. I did. I, I saw oh. your write-up in the Discord, though. Yeah, I actually like Barbie more, to be honest. I've heard uh, that from a few people that I, I respect their taste of. And uh, yeah. yeah, did you, you? Sorry, did you like both but liked Barbie more, or did you not really like Oppenheimer? I liked Oppenheimer. I have a problem with Christopher Nolan. I think he's like okay. a little pretentious boy. That and, I think is more than fair. <laughs> and I also think that like they they very much dolled up Oppenheimer. Like I read a little bit more into his bio, like just like a spoiled rich kid, uh, all this shit. But the movie goes into a lot of these communist parties that yeah. we're kind of talking about now because he joined. He probably and he got he a car. Sterling Hayden, I feel yeah. like. You know? he, oh no, he he's, in, he's in San Francisco. He's not in L.A. He was, in, he was at Cal. Yeah. yeah. Wait, he was down oh, no. in L.A., right? Or he was just only in San Francisco? I think he was only in Sterling San Francisco. Hayden? Oh, oh well, uh, well, Hayden have been in L.A.? So he was in L.A. Um, it was Warwick Tompkins who lived in Sausalito, San Francisco area. Oh, okay. Uh, so so he's, it's still possible. Yeah, he spent time yeah. there. I mean... Um, well, actually, wait. No, it's not, because... <laughs> Oppenheimer is definitely not going to these meetings in 1945 and 46. Yeah, yeah, that was... <laughs> he went more in, like, 34 and 36. Yeah, he was a card carry, carry, carrier before the war and during the war, but, yeah. Anyway, uh, I, it, it's kind of interesting hearing your research, Tom, after coming to see that movie, because it's a little earlier, but that yeah, whole kind of vibe. thing about, like, joining a cult and all these, like influential people that was more in like the science realm you small know? groups though small groups yeah. what yeah. i what i like um i don't know you have to look at this stuff like it didn't matter what it was all cults back then you know like the the pro-capitalist were cult too they they had that the fucking mccarthy yeah look at that Collins, like they were also a cult it was just cult of personality it's very close to what's happening today with the political aisles being so fucking retarded yeah shit still happens today yeah it doesn't so. matter what the ideology especially in la it happens <laughs> yeah and and san francisco yeah so i don't know i i think sterling's a pretty fascinating character uh i two maybe three more episodes <laughs> we'll have to see where he goes with this communist shit because i know it's not the end of the road with this, this it's gonna bubble up again mm. no no way it can't come back to him yeah um so yeah i will hopefully release another episode next week uh this one's yeah. coming out was it 24th this is gonna come out yeah i'll go shoot yeah. to have another one out next week it's been a little more normal here thanks for everyone who's been listening and and kind of hanging out there while the schedule's been weird and while we're reforming the show into a new very cool thing. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Right. yeah. Graphics yeah. packages. Yeah, Tom, thanks for bringing us back. Yeah, thanks for having me back, because I was, like, really close <laughs> to running. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Yeah, close us out, Travis. 
Uh, well, if you like the show, you go to RoastBarnCast.com. You get a t-shirt that we I might close down soon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so get them while they last. They're still there. Um, you can follow us on socials and just stick around, and we're, we're, we're going to be getting to that 300. Big 300. <laughs> what episode is this, Brad? That's right. Do you know off the top of your mind? 289. 289, wow. Uh, fuck, this could be so hard. Look at that. Though. Yeah. Shrimp scampi. All right. Thank you, Shane, y'all. On a hot dog. <laughs> yeah. Peace. Peace.